0: Today we're reading from The Wonder Book by Nathaniel Hawthorne, The Chimera. When the airy rush of the winged horse had brought him within the distance of a hundred yards, the chimera gave a spring and flung its huge, awkward, venomous, and utterly detestable carcass right upon poor Pegasus, clung him round with might and main, and tiled its snaky tail into a knot. "'Up flew the aerial steed, higher, higher, higher above the mountain peaks, "'above the clouds, and almost out of sight of the solid earth. "'But still the earth born monster kept its hold "'and was borne upward, along with the creature of light and air. "'Bellerophon, meanwhile, turning about, "'found himself face to face with the ugly grimness of the chimera's visage "'and could only avoid being scorched to death "'or bitten right in twain by holding up his shield.' Over the upper edge of his shield, he looked sternly into the savage eyes of the monster. But the chimera was so mad and wild with pain that it did not guard itself so well as else might have been the case. Perhaps, after all, the best way to fight a chimera is by getting as close to it as you can. In its effort to stick its horrible iron claws into its enemy, the creature left its own breast quite exposed. Perceiving this, Bellerophon thrust his sword from the hilt into its cruel heart immediately the snaky tail untied its knot the monster let go its hold of pegasus and fell from that vast height downward while the fire within its bosom instead of being put out burned fiercer than ever and quickly began to consume the dead carcass thus it fell out of the sky all aflame and it being nightfall before it reached the earth was mistaken for a shooting star or comet but at early sunrise, some cottagers were going to their day's labor, and saw to their astonishment that several acres of ground were strewn with black ashes. In the middle of a field, there was a heap of whitened bones, a good deal higher than a haystack. Nothing else was ever seen of that dreadful chimera. And when Bellerophon had won the victory, he bent forward and kissed Pegasus, while the tears stood in his eyes. "'Back now, my beloved steed,' he said, "'back to the fountain of the Pyrenean.' "'Pegasus skimmed through the air "'quicker than he ever did before "'and reached the fountain in a very short time. "'And there he found the old man leaning on his staff "'and the country fellow watering his cow "'and the pretty maiden filling her pitcher. "'I remember now,' quoth the old man, "'I saw this winged horse once before "'when I was quite a lad, "'but he was ten times handsomer in those days. "'I own a cart horse worth three of him,' "'said the country fellow. "'If this pony were mine, first thing I should do would be to clip his wings.' The poor maiden said nothing, for she always had the luck to be afraid at the wrong time. So she ran away and let her pitcher tumble down and broke it. "'Where's the gentle child?' asked Bellerophon, "'who used to keep me company and never lost his faith and never wearied of gazing into the fountain.' "'Here I am, dear Bellerophon,' said the child softly. For the boy had spent day after day on the margin of Pyrenees, waiting for his friend to come back.' but when he perceived bellerophon descending through the clouds mounted on the winged horse he had shrunk back into the shrubbery he was a delicate and tender child and dreaded lest the old man and the country fellow should see the tears gushing from his eyes "'Thou hast won the victory,' said he joyfully, running to the knee of Bellerophon, "'who still sat on the back of Pegasus. "'I knew thou wouldst.' "'Yes, dear child,' replied Bellerophon, alighting from the winged horse. "'But if thy face had not helped me, I should never have waited for Pegasus, "'and never gone above the clouds, and never conquered the terrible Chimera. "'Thou, my beloved little friend, hast done it all. "'And now let us give Pegasus his liberty.' So he slipped off the enchanted bridle from the head of the marvelous steed. "'Be free forevermore, my Pegasus,' cried he, with a shade of sadness in his tone. "'Be as free as thou art fleet.' But Pegasus rested his head on Bellerophon's shoulder, and would not be persuaded to take flight. "'Well then,' said Bellerophon, caressing the airy horse, "'thou shalt be with me as long as thou wilt, and we will go together forthwith, and tell King Iobates that the Chimera is destroyed.' Then Bellerophon embraced the gentle child and promised to come to him again and departed. But in after years, that child took higher flights upon the aerial steed than ever did Bellerophon and achieved more honorable deeds than his friend's victory over the chimera. For as gentle and tender as he was, he grew to be a mighty poet. Eustace Bright told the legend of Bellerophon with as much fervor and animation as if he had really been taking a gallop on the winged horse. At the conclusion, he was gratified to discern, by the glowing countenances of his auditors, how greatly they had been interested. All their eyes were dancing in their heads, except those of Primrose. In her eyes, there were positively tears, for she was conscious of something in the legend, which the rest of them were not yet old enough to feel. Child story as it was, the student had contrived to breathe through it through the ardor, the generous hope, and the imaginative enterprise of youth. "'I forgive you now, Primrose,' said he, "'for all your ridicule of myself and my stories. "'One tear pays for a great deal of laughter.' "'Well, Mr. Bright,' answered Primrose, "'wiping her eyes and giving him another of her mischievous smiles, "'it certainly does elevate your ideas to get your head above the clouds. "'I advise you never to tell another story unless it be, "'as at present, from the top of the mountain.' "'Or from the back of Pegasus,' replied Eustace, laughing. "'Don't you think I succeeded pretty well in catching that wonderful pony?' "'It was so like one of your madcap pranks,' cried Primrose, clapping her hands. "'I think I see you now on his back, two miles high and with your head downward. "'It is well that you've not really had an opportunity of trying your horsemanship "'on any wilder steed than our sober Davy or old Hundred. "'For my part, I wish I had Pegasus here at this moment,' said the student." I would mount him forthwith and gallop about the country, within a circumference of a few miles, making literary calls on my brother authors. Dr. Dewey would be within my reach at the foot of Taconic. In Stockbridge yonder is Mr. James, conspicuous to all the world on his mountain pile of history and romance. Longfellow, I believe, is not yet at the axe bow, else the winged horse would neigh at the sight of him. But here in Lennox, I should find her most truthful novelist, who has made the scenery and life of Berkshire all her own. On the hither side of Pittsfield sits Herman Melville, shaping out the gigantic conception of his white whale, while the gigantic shape of Greylock looms upon him from his study window. Another bound of my flying steed would bring me to the door of Holmes, whom I mentioned last, because Pegasus would certainly unseat me the next minute and claim the poet as his rider. "'Have we not an author for our next neighbor?' asked Primrose. "'That silent man who lives in the old red house near Tanglewood Avenue, "'and whom we sometimes meet with two children at his side and the woods or at the lake. "'I think I have heard of him writing a poem or a romance or an arithmetic "'or a school history or some other kind of book.' "'Hush, Primrose, hush!' exclaimed Eustace in a thrilling whisper "'and putting his finger to his lips. "'Not a word about that man, even on a hilltop.' "'If our babble were to reach his ears and happen not to please him, "'he has but to fling a choir or two of paper into the stove, "'and you, Primrose and I, Periwinkle, Sweet, Firm, Squash, Blossom, "'Blue-Eye, Huckleberry, Clover, Cowslip, Plantain, Milkweed, Dandelion, and Buttercup, "'yes, and wise Mr. Pringle, with his unfavorable criticisms on my legend, "'and poor Mrs. Pringle, too, would all turn to smoke and go whisking up the funnel.' "'Our neighbor in the red house is a harmless sort of person enough, for aught I know. "'This concerns the rest of the world. "'But something whispers to me that he has a terrible power over ourselves, "'extending to nothing short of annihilation.' "'And would Tanglewood turn to smoke as well as we?' asked Periwinkle, "'quite appalled at the threatened destruction. "'And what would become of Ben and Bruin?' "'Tanglewood would remain,' replied the student, "'looking just as it does now, but occupied by an entirely different family.' "'and Ben and Bruin would still be alive, "'and would make themselves very comfortable "'with the bones from the dinner-table, "'without ever thinking of the good times "'which they and we have had together. "'What nonsense you are talking!' exclaimed Primrose. "'With idle chat of this kind, "'the party had already begun to descend the hill, "'and now were within the shadow of the woods.' Primrose had gathered some mountain laurel, the leaf of which, though it was last year's growth, was still as verdant and elastic as the frost and thaw had not alternately tried their force upon its texture. Of these twigs of laurel she twined a wreath, and took off the student's cap in order to place it on his brow. "'Nobody else is likely to crown you for your stories,' observed saucy Primrose, "'so take this from me.' "'Do not be too sure,' answered Eustace, really looking like a youthful poet, with the laurel among his glossy curls." that I shall not win other wreaths by these wonderful and admirable stories. I mean to spend all my leisure during the rest of vacation and throughout the summer term at college in writing them out for the press. Mr. J.T. Fields, with whom I became acquainted when he was at Berkshire last summer, and who is a poet as well as a publisher, will see their uncommon merit at a glance. He will get them illustrated, I hope, by Billings, and will bring them before the world under the very best of auspices through the eminent house of Tickner and Co., in about five months from this moment, I make no doubt of being reckoned among the lights of this age. Poor boy, said Primrose, half aside. What a disappointment waits him. Descending a little lower, Bruin began to bark, and was answered by the graver bow wow of the respectable Ben. They soon saw the good old dog keeping careful watch over dandelion, sweet fern, cowslip, and squash blossom. These little people, quite recovered from their fatigue, had set about gathering cheek berries, and now came clamoring to meet their playfellows. Thus united, the whole party went down through Luther Butler's orchard and made the best of their way home to Tanglewood. And that concludes The Wonder Book for Girls and Boys by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Can't wait to bring you our next story next week. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Stay connected by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Enchanted Library. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Enchanted Library. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends, happy reading.